0: Probably haven't really we and good morning. Um, it is so lovely outside it was exciting to wake up and have it be just a little bit warm this morning. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, especially after not sleeping last night because I was so excited to teach this morning. I couldn't stop thinking about it all night long. Um, this is probably in my times that I've gotten to have with you guys, the one I'm most anxious about. Um, I think it's the most close to home for myself, and I think it's the one that I have um, been praying and praying and praying will hit home with each one of us wherever we're at. Um, so, let's talk about anger and bitterness. It's like fun, doesn't it? Um, If you guys want to, there's notes, there's a notes section and there's going to be some fill in the blanks as we go along and there's some definitions I've already written out for you so you don't have to get a hand cramp as we go along. Um, But um, it makes me feel special when you follow along in the notes page. Alright, so we're going to be talking about two different kinds of anger this morning. And the first one is the anger of God. So, I want you guys to talk to me for a second. I know this is one of your questions, kind of. But how do we see that God gets angry? Where does He get angry? To whom does He get angry? Gets angry at sin, absolutely. Well, who, who does He get angry to? What's that? Angry God gets angry at Himself. Oh, I'd have to think about that one. <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd have to, I, I'm, not, I'm not going on the same vibe you're going on on that one. I think of how Michael's been teaching, and I think of how he's been talking through Amos, and how he's been talking through Hosea, and how he's been talking to the Israelites. And he's like, oh, my people, why won't you obey me? Why do you go after these other gods? Why do you get mad at that? You don't get mad at injustice. And he's been talking to them, and he's been getting so frustrated at them, so angry at them. Jesus got angry. Who did we see Jesus get angry at? Yep, the Pharisees, absolutely, religious leaders, the people who were selling things in the temple, right? That's probably the biggest act that we see of his outbursts of anger. And so it's interesting if we begin to look at anger, because lots of times with anger, uh, we think, oh, that's probably not a good thing. Um, But the interesting thing is that the Bible never criticizes God's anger, but warns repeatedly about our anger, about human anger and the way that we do anger. And so that, therefore, tells us that there is something good about anger. We just need to figure out what it is. Can you hold on to them for a little bit? Because we might talk about them in a couple minutes. So just hold on to those. Make a little note. So we're going to talk about the anger of man and the fact that the anger of man has two aspects. Two. It can be both holy and unholy. So we're going to look at holy anger here. And so holy anger, here's some examples of holy anger that even we can have when we get angry at injustice, when we get angry at sin, evil, rebellion, when we see the glory of God being marred, whether it be in someone's life and the way that they're living it, whether it be in policy, whether it be in um, anything that goes on in the world around us. These are some examples of the way that we can be angry, but also be holy in our anger. But then there's Unholy anger. <clears throat> And, if we were going to be honest, I would say that this is where most of us oftentimes camp. So I gave James one twenty to someone, if you could read that for me. And so if you think about that, that's going to be one of our primary verses that we go back to in thinking about. Okay, so here we are. I'm getting angry and I'm going to get angry at this injustice and I'm going to get angry at this sin and I'm going to be angry and I'm going to rationalize that my anger is wholly anger, so therefore it can be fine and good. And I think a lot of the times that's a very defeating purpose because a lot of the times our anger, in fact I would say most of the time, Our anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. So that righteous outcome that we're looking for, that righteous thing when someone's doing something sinful and we're getting mad at them, we're getting angry at them, we're like, ooh, come on. It does not accomplish what God can accomplish in his righteousness. Read James 4, 1 through 10 for me. I love that passage because that passage gives us a very clear definition of where this unholy anger comes from. It comes from our desires. If you see that word in the very beginning of that passage, it says that your desires are at war within you. And so here's the deal. There's a war going on inside of us between our desires, between God's desires, between my desires and your desires, between your desires and your desires, and it's just a big battle and war going on everywhere. And what happens is that sin, our own fleshly desires that get so strong inside of us, it reduces all of us to be idolaters and worshipers of ourselves. Because here's what happens. It's like, oh... My agenda is the best way. My expectations are the best. And I love them. And I don't like yours as much as I like mine. So therefore, I want my way. I think my way is the best. And hooey on your way. And I think that's... And so there's a war. But I think one of the best, most freeing aspects that we, sh- we need to like make sure we see here is that it's inside of us. And as hard as that actually is, that gives us a lot of hope. Because if the battle is outside of us then we're kind of a victim and we're kind of a subject to what's going on in our outside world. But knowing that a lot of what goes on in our anger is happening inside of us gives us way more control over it, way more opportunity for transformation, and way more um, opportunity to see things. And so that's true. And so we'll talk about that. Keep those questions for the end. We're going to have a question and answer time. And so keep those questions. We'll talk about how maybe that looks and how maybe we should respond to that properly during that time. Good question. And so what we see is that these desires, this war inside of us, it connects our anger to our desires. And we see, oh, wow, that's why I get angry. I have these desires, and that's what's coming out inside of me. And Paul Tripp, um, we got to hear him speak at the Faith Biblical Counseling Conference, which this is a little commercial for that. We are now (laughs) recruiting people and want you all to come. Um, One of the things that he said is he said that a desire, which can also be labeled as an idol, for even a good thing, even if you're like, you know what, I just really want to be loved. Wanting to be loved is not a bad thing. That's a very natural thing. But when we want to be loved so desperately by another person and we expect them to do it in the way that we say that they should, even a desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when that desire becomes a ruling thing. So when we get ruled by that, when we're overcome with expectations, when we're overcome with different aspects of that, it becomes a bad thing when we put it on a pedestal and we just look for it to meet all of our needs. So we're going to talk about spectrum of anger, and this is exciting. Alright, so on the spectrum of anger, you have this on your sheet, <coughs> a little tiny up there. So we're going to go through <coughs> kind of where it starts and where it ends. And so I believe totally that every sinner, which unfortunately is all of us, is somehow an angry person. And anger is not an inanimate object that's, like, some, like, little, like noun. Yes, like, noun, sitting over there, like, doing its own little thing, but it's alive in us. And I believe that, like we said, we're angry because not of what's um, outside of us, but because of what's inside of us, and the outside is what triggers the inside of us, right? And we're going to talk about that more in a second. And so it's what's... What is inside of us that we look to meet our needs, our expectations, our hopes, our wants, our demands, our agenda, our timetable, our method. And the thing is that thankfully the gospel is also alive for those of us who are in Christ, working in us, just as anger is. And the gospel is more powerful to work to transform and free us from the bondages that we're going to talk about in these many faces, the spectrum of anger. And so this is the way that anger appears all the time. The first one is bothered. And and these are the Merriam-Webster definitions of these words. So for hangry, we're going to talk about that one. Um, Bothered, to intrude upon. All right, how many of us have felt bothered? Yes. All right. Annoyance, to disturb or irritate, especially by repeated acts. The image that comes to most of us is of your siblings. Poke, 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 (laughs) poke. Someone tapping a pen, that's always like, oh gosh, please stop tapping your pen. Um, Hangry, this is my favorite one. This is, yes, Kyle's raising his hand. This is probably one of my biggest ones on here. This is a fantastic word that I'm here to teach all of you about. Hunger causing a negative change in your emotional mood. All right? That is my biggest struggle. And when I'm pregnant, it's like, honestly, like my brain shuts down and I can't even function anymore when I'm hungry. Um, irritation becoming inflamed. It's the concept that someone is like rubbing you, or something is rubbing you, and it's like making your skin, you know, like become irritated and inflamed. It's the same for our like hearts and for our soul. Rubbing, 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 <gasps> ah, getting irritated, disappointed, defeated in expectation. There's that expectation word. It's like, oh, my expectations have been defeated, and I just kind of want to sit down because I'm so disappointed. Cutting. This is when you're being cutting and verbally cutting to someone. You're like. I just cut you down a little bit. Inclined, I love this definition, to wound the feelings of others because of ruthless incisiveness. And that's the fact you're like, I'm a little angry. I'm a little passive. I'm a little bitter. So I'm just going to make a little remark that kind of gets you right at the root of who you are and cuts you a little bit. Upset. I like this definition. I'll keep saying this for all of them. But upset, to throw into disorder and to defeat unexpectedly. So it's like something's going along, you're on your path, you're like, yes, we're doing good, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, throw into disorder. I think all of us who are like moms and have to get children out of the door experience that one. Oh, disorder all of a sudden, unexpected defeat, bummer. Frustration, this would be another one of my big ones, to defeat in an endeavor. Task-oriented people, people who like to accomplish things when things get in your way and things get in your path. Um, it's like, oh, my endeavor, it was over there, and I'm being defeated over here. I'm going to talk about getting out the door with two small children in a second how that relates to that one. Uh, Disgusted, to pr- provoke, to loathing, and be offensive to. Anger, a strong feeling of displeasure. Bitterness, marked by intensity or severity. Distasteful or distressing to the mind. Love that part. Sarcastic, a sharp utterance designed to give pain, and wrath, retribut- retributory punishment for an offense or a crime. And I believe on there is supposed to be vengeance. Does someone have that that they can read it? Okay, oh, we had rage too. So, yes, vengeance is the last one, punishment inflicted in retaliation of an injury, and rage also, violent and uncontrolled anger. And so that's where you know we see like road rage and it's like all of a sudden it just comes out of someone and it's like "I am going to totally just take out on you how I feel in a violent way." All right. Next thing we're going to look at, just is just real quick, I just want to show you the different faces of anger. So anger has a passive face, it has an aggressive face, and it has a passive-aggressive face, which is when you start with this and you end with aggressive. So passive anger displays, you guys can all kind of imagine these. And if we had all day to sit here, which would be so fun, wouldn't it? Um, I'd be showing you movie clips of each one of these and how these are displayed. But you guys can probably imagine them in the movie of your mind here. Dispassion, which is like, oh, cold shoulder, you come in the room, I just kind of walk away from you. Evasiveness, very similar, like, I'm just not really going to like talk about this, I'll talk about other subjects with you, but not the subject that I really want to. Manipulation, well, if you really love me, then I guess you would have done this, but you didn't do this, so, and then, okay, I'll do that, I'll do it, I'll do it. Um, these are kind of like the secretive ones, down behind your back, gossipy. Gossiping, like anonymous complaints and letters. Pouting. That's a big favorite. Pouting, absolutely, absolutely. Self-blame. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Did I do that? I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, Martyr complex. That's one of my favorites, but not. Um, Martyr complex is, oh, I guess I'll do it. Okay, yep, I'll do that too. Mm -hmm. So it's not real self-sacrifice. It does not come from a heart of love, but it comes from a heart of um, bitterness and anger. And then the last one is ineffectualness, setting yourself up for failure. So maybe it is like, oh, I'll do this, and I'll do this, and I'll do this, and I'll do this, and I'll do this. I'll do this for you, and I'll do this for you, and I'll do this for you, and then you don't come through. And it's like a passive way of expressing your anger towards it. And we have the aggressive. These ones we're all um, more familiar with. Bullying, destructiveness, grandiosity. That's when you're like showing off or like you have a big sore loser complex or you don't listen. Um, Hurtfulness. Manic behavior, that's when you're, like, right now, but I'm not angry. Talking really fast and trying to, like, get your point across and, like, just, like, going really fast so no one else can interrupt you. Selfishness, threats, tailgating, honking, (coughs) blaming, unpredictability. That's, like, how someone feels when, like, they're on eggshells when they're around you because they never know when you're going to explode or when you're going to get angry. And vengeance. Um, So let me tell you a little bit about the Fueling Olympics. Um, for those of you who know what Pinterest is, if you don't, see me afterwards because it's the best website ever. But I found this on Pinterest, Pinterest, and I was like, that is so true. It says, getting everyone out of the house should be considered an Olympic event. And so um, I will just say that, like I said in the beginning, anger for me is something that I've seen arisen in my heart over probably the last three years. And if you take the timeline of my life and coincide it with the anger, you'd see that's when I became a mom. And um, I think a lot of it comes from... People waking up my children when they're sleeping. Oh, my gosh, we just worked so long to get them asleep, and you just woke them up. And so I have a goal, right? I have an endeavor, and it's being disrupted, and all those kind of things. And, like, when we're getting out of the car, it's like, oh, Elliot, can you put your shoes on? Elliot, put your shoes on. Elliot, put your shoes on. Sit down and put your shoes on. They go on the wrong feet. Really? Really, now they're on the wrong feet. That's why she has her shoes on the wrong feet, because when we get to that point, I'm like, okay, we're just going to go with that for a little bit. Um... (laughs) And it's so when my desires, expectations, my felt needs, my wounds, my agendas rule my heart rather than the creator ruling my heart, um, and when we all do this, we begin to objectify people as obstacles or vehicles rather than people that we need to love. And so when I'm trying to get out the door and I'm getting frustrated at Elliot, I am like seeing her as like an obstacle to my endeavor rather than someone I need to be loving, and that is why my biggest goal is to love her in those moments and be patient with her that means and calm down and get off my little agenda horse, um, and see her as an object for me to love rather than a vehicle or an obstacle. Um, I think, too, um, one of the things that has impacted me most with this is thinking this very thought. I heard on the radio probably about three weeks ago, I don't even know what they were talking about, but they said this. They said 80% of Jesus' miracles that he performed were interruptions to what he had previously been doing. He said, if you don't want to miss the miracle opportunities in your life, then don't be so caught up in trying to get to where you're trying to go. And that for me has been a very like, impacting thought of like, okay, Jesus could stop his agenda all the time for things, and he could stop and perform a miracle. And he had those opportunities. And how many miracles do I pass by because I'm so um, set on my agenda? One of the things I want um, to teach you guys, and I'm not sure how much you know about this, is that anger is a secondary emotion. So what that means is so many times you're like, how are you feeling right now? And you're like, I'm feeling angry. Well, yes, but there's more to it. When we seek to change our lives, when we seek to think about anger and we're like, I'm angry, we miss something because anger is not a primary emotion. Okay? So we have primary emotions and we have secondary emotions and then we have third, third emotions, which are more like basically like actions. <coughs> primary emotions for anger are things like hurt, disrespect, fear, and impatience. So when we are angry, what we are really feeling first is one of those. Okay? And so the change that we need to occur for our hearts to be less angry is for us to address what is really happening underneath my anger. And so these are kind of like the roots. These are kind of like the foundations of anger. Is it hurt? And you know what? A lot of times um, it's real, but a lot of times it's perceived. Things that we have conjured up in our head. Oh, they did not look at me when I came in that room. Oh, I think that my boss just tried to make a cutting comment. I think they were probably talking about me over there by the water cooler. Um, Disrespected and injustice, um, that has to do with either be your unmet needs, again, real or perceived. I need to be respected. And when you just said that to me, you were not respecting me. And it's like, oh, gosh, no, I think I actually was, and that's the perception of it. But sometimes it's absolutely real. Oh, yeah, I was just kind of mad at you, so I was making a cutting comment. Unmet expectations, fear. If you think about fear, that's like a big. Um, you see that with animals a lot, right? So anger comes out of animals when they feel threatened and they fear, feel fearful, right? So like a coyote is attacking like a dog and the dog gets like angry and lashes back out at him. He felt threatened. He felt like he had to protect himself, so he went at it. And impatience, not being accomplished in your time frame. This is super duper duper important for trying to get to the root of anger. We're going to talk about triggers. You guys have all probably heard, um, oh, first on the secondary emotion, I want to say that um, when you get good at anger, it becomes not only an emotion, but it begins to come a lens that changes the way we see events and and magnifies things. My brother has a lens for his camera that just really weirds me out. And if he were to stand right here this close to your face, he'd be able to get what's over there and what's over here um, in the lens, and you would look like you're back there. And that's kind of how anger is. Anger morphs and anger distorts the perception of what we see. So the better that we get at it, the more that we feel anger, the more and more that it becomes not just something that we feel, but it becomes something that absolutely changes the way that we see the world, the way we see events, the way, remember, in the real and the perceived part, it begins to change your perception. So more and more you're like, oh, that's not against me, that's against me, that's against me. And it magnifies everything. Talk about triggers. This is, an, this is a word that you guys have probably heard. Each of us have triggers in our life. And so I Googled, and I looked up, and I talked, and I put on my Facebook, and I tried so hard to find common triggers, and I couldn't find any. So I'll just share with you mine. Um, and so I really believe that triggers are very personal things, but there's commonalities. So some of you will probably like resonate with mine and be like, oh yeah, I can kind of feel that one too. Um, so a trigger though, just like in a gun, is the event or the perception of event that sets you off, right? And so one of the things that's on, there's some questions for reflection for you guys to take home. I beg you to each identify what it is that sets off your anger, whether how it, how it is on the spectrum, whatever face it is that you begin today to identify your triggers. Because until you're aware of the things that really make you <coughs> in a more vulnerable position, you have no hope. So this is my list, not being listened to. Last night at Starbucks, I was working on this, and at the counter, I ordered tea, and the guy goes, do you want any honey packets? And I was like, no, thank you. Then I go to pick up my tea, and the guy's on the other side, and he literally goes, do you want any honey packets? And I was like, no, thank you. Then he comes up and gives me my drink. Obviously, he's got other things going on in his mind. And you know what he asked me? Do you want any honey packets on the side? And by that time, I'm like, no, I don't want any honey packets on the side, and you're not listening to me. Um, and that would be a great example of my not being listened to. That begins to irritate me, begins to like rise up this little like thing inside of my soul that's like, no, I don't want any honey packets. I didn't respond like that, but that's how I felt. Um, being listened to but not having action taken to my request. I, I like my control, and when my children or people that are working for me or working with me aren't doing what I've just asked them to do, it is so provoking for me. Being put into a box and people are like, oh, Bria, she's like that. Like, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, don't put me in a box. Uh, being accused of doing something that I didn't do. Not being talked to gently and directly about things that I've done and have wounded, angered, or been less desirable to people. Passive aggression, when people are like passive aggressive, that angers me. Because creativity being my creativity being put down or judged. Oh, meanness, that's like my number one. When I see two people being mean, I have a couple clients right now, and the stories that they tell me of the way that people are mean to them at school, if I were there, Lord help me. I would be like probably tackling these people and duct taping their mouths because I have never heard such stories of meanness before and I could not handle seeing that happen. Um, abuse, that's one of the things, like when I see people abusing other people or I suspect it, like at Walmart or like in the parking lot, like I have a very hard time keeping my mouth shut. Um, incompetence, that's a big one. When someone's like checking you out and they're like, all right, let's, let's check those items out, let's get going here, my friend. Uh, inefficiency, it kind of goes through the same thing, and injustice. Um, So those are mine. That's my heart right there on a slideshow presentation page. Um, And so I encourage you to think about yours. And the thing about anger is that it has an addictive quality to it. And so lots of times when we have reached a certain point in the way that we express our anger and the way that we feel, we will the next time that trigger is pulled go back to that point and elevate it one step. So if you think about this, if we don't take care of our anger, it continues to be triggered all the time. Because these things, I can't control these things happening to me, right? I can only control what I think about these things and how I react to them. And so, what needs to happen is that if, unless, unless we get this under control, unless I work on these things, unless I address these things and how I'm going to respond and how Christ wants me to respond to these things, I will just elevate and elevate and elevate and elevate to the point where I'm like, scream, I am screaming at the Starbucks guy, no, I don't want any honey. Alright, so the thing about anger, too, is that the boiling up that we have that comes inside of us, it burns, and it burns the people around us, and it burns anyone who's near to us. So, um, of the seven deadly sins, anger is probably the most fun. I think everyone could probably agree to that. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long part, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation yet to come. This is the feast fit for a king. However, the chief drawback is what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton of your feast is your own. And this is so true about anger. When we let anger brood inside of our hearts, the only and most destructive force that it is is towards ourselves. Towards ourselves, it causes depression, anxiety, fear, post traumatic stress disorder, heart attacks, hardening of arteries, hypertension, high blood pressure, muscle problems, respiratory po- problems, IBS, and migraines. Others, when we boil onto other people, we have the opportunity to cause destruction to our relationships, to wound them, to scar them, to destroy intimacy. Anger is a huge intimacy. Um, To physically affect them in the ways I just named, you can actually physically harm someone else on the internal by causing them to be in an angered state and causing them shock. Um, Anger is fun, and we do it because we enjoy it, and it gives us a sense of control, combat, a superiority, dominance, and expression for the disappointment that we feel. So we diffuse anger by these things. Um, And I pass out these verses. We'll come back to them if we have time, but we're going to keep going here. Uh, I'd love for you guys all to look up these verses. We diffuse anger by dealing with it. First thing is that we admit that I have a struggle that I cannot overcome without God. And I have distorted something good. Anger has the opportunity to be good, which we're going to talk about more in a second. I have distorted it. We need to see and own how my anger erupts and how does this affect the people around me. Even if it's just that I'm bothered, even if I just get frustrated, I need to own that. I need to ask the people around me what that looks like. Share your ownership with those it affects and apologize. Learn your triggers and roots and correct them by thought training. Memorizing scripture, trying to, you know, you have all these expectations and you have to replace those expectations with with what are true expectations. And seek help and learn how to worship God and his purposes alone. This is a battle, again, about our desires of my purposes and God's purposes. What are God's purposes? And that's what we need to embrace rather than our own purposes. And when you do erupt, get back up. Don't live in condemnation. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to remember that and not live there. Second thing we need to do is love well. Um, Romans 12 talks about how to love well. And we need to cement our attempts um, and our purposes at God's feet and just seek to love other people well. We need to forgive generously, and we need to give grace to those around us. Hopefully we'll have time to come back and read those verses. not there on your sheet. Our unholy anger is a reminder that, uh, that gives us a very pathway to the cross of Jesus Christ. As we submit our desires to follow His, we find release from our anger. Anger is an absolute opportunity to transform your heart. And it is a reminder all the time that we don't always do anger well. So for a second, I want to talk about bitterness. And I want to look at what happens when our anger takes a detour inward, and stays there, and what happens in bitterness. And so I'm going to tell you a little story. And the story, hopefully all of you can see this, is of the little seed that grew. So here we have a little seed. It's cute. It took me a long time to decide what shape to make it, and this is the one I came up with. Um, The seed is birthed and spawned through anger, dwelling in our hearts and being left undealt with. So when we have that anger, when we have that action, when we have that interaction, and we're like, Ugh, and we don't do anything with it, that's what like pop pops that little seed out and makes it happen. Um, go on to the next one, next our little f- seed, it gravitates towards fertile soil, and fertile soil of bitterness is a heart that is left unguarded, that has been injured, that has been wounded, and has been hurt a lot of the same things of anger but here the little seed is and it's just like floating around and it's like oh I see a fertile soil I'll grow well there so the little seed gets planted and it's planted I truly believe by a conscious decision that we make to hold on to this feeling you know what I'm not done with this yet that person really made me angry they do this all the time I'm just going to think about this a little bit more it's so wrong that they do this to me It makes me so angry. They do not treat me the way I'm supposed to be treated. They are so disrespectful for me. And then we nurture the seed. So the seed is nurtured by dwelling, by brooding, by thinking about it. How else do you think that we give water and rain and nurture to this seed? Mm We what? Oh, yeah, yeah. There it is again. Yep. Oh, I knew it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, you're like, oh, didn't you see that person? They're so disrespectful. That's, oh, yeah, they always, they always do that. They always do. Absolutely. <coughs> Absolutely. And there's many different creative ways of sinning. And so many of them um, fall into the way that we nurture this. And here's the deal about bitterness. It does not need light to grow. It actually needs darkness. And so the longer that we keep ourselves in the darkness, it's very, very close to mold and mildew, right? It's like, ooh, I love to grow in wet dark places and the more wetness the more dark i get i can just feed off of that and bitterness is very same um, bitterness is internal and it grows in the dark parts of our heart which would also i believe grow when we're like reading god's word and we're shining the light in there and we're shining that light on it that light has the opportunity to kill all those kind of things so when we separate ourselves from a vibrant relationship with christ and a vibrant relationship with community it creates more darkness in our hearts and it gives a lot more opportunity for that to grow so, oh, it sprouted. Here's our little seed, and it sprouts, right? What does this feel like? It feels good, okay? That seed of bitterness sprouts in your heart, you're holding onto to it, and you just keep thinking about it, and it's growing, and you're like, that's right. You got that validated. All these things are happening. It's being validated again and again, and this person keeps doing it, or these circumstances keep happening, and you're like, there it is again. There it is again. And when this seed sprouts, it feels delightful, it feels almost life-giving. It feels relieving because now you're, the energy that you've been feeling and like having her inside of you, it's like going towards growing something. And you look at that and you think, that is very manageable. I can totally manage that. It's just going to stay this little cute little sprout inside my heart. It'll just take up this part. I'll have the rest of my heart to love other people, and we'll be good to go. Um, the problem is, is that as, the, as you see things on the top, The roots are already going deeper and deeper and deeper down inside of us than we even know. So, oh, look, it's just like a weed. And so the seed begins to grow and begins to grow around and begins to take up more and more of our heart. It begins to entangle our heart. It begins to get closer and closer. (laughs) And what was so small and so manageable, over about, like, an hour to, like, a few days, depending on your situation, can just grow and grow and grow and become more and more. And what's happening here underground? Roots are getting wider, they're getting deeper, they're getting more intricate, and they're getting way more difficult to pull up. Oh, and then we get to this one. Oh, now it has thorns. That's exciting. You ever try to pull a weed that has thorns? That's exciting, too. And so, all of a sudden, you're prickly, right? How do you think it feels for someone to be close to a prickly heart? Yeah, it hurts. It's prickly. It can wound you, actually. And people think, oh, this is just inside of me. No one else can see this. I just kind of harbor this little bitterness. But really, we can see it. They can see it in us. When they try to get close to you, it hurts. And here's what's going on. Now, this heart, the life is beginning to be sucked out of this heart because it has a prickly thorn growing around it and overtaking it. Okay, this is a big problem. And so not only is it cutting off the light source... And here's what happens. Like, if I try to shine the light into this, this is creating such a shadow and such an unmanageable darkness that now even light shining on it is hard to be accepted. It's hard to even penetrate it. It begins to slave us. It begins to squeeze the life out of us. And here's the thing. And someone smart said this, and I can't remember who it was, but someone in this room might know. Sin will always take you further than you expected and keep you longer than you ever dreamed of. And that little spout that we thought was manageable... Has now become a prickly vine that is even bigger and better than my beautiful art here that's overtaking your heart and squeezing the life out of you and keeping people from being able to get close to you. I know, I thought about that this morning. Shh. <laughs> All right. So, and what else happens? Here we go. Roots. The roots that you have dug down deep, are ran out of yellow paint, have begun to entangle and enmesh with the roots of other people. Other people's hearts who have a little sprout of bitterness. All underground, this begins to happen. And this is why bitter people tend to gravitate towards other bitter people. And once you're in that bitter cycle, once you're in that bitter, bitter system, it's very hard to leave because what has happened? Whose roots are whose? We don't know. They're all enmeshed. They're all entangled. They affect each other. They're cutting the life off of each other. And so many times you see people who are friends, who are all bitter, and really they're just choking each other. Really they're just cutting the life out of each other. And it all happens underground. But again, we can see it up top ground, too, because they're prickly and they're hard to be around and they look like each other. So an intricate system has been uh, designed and has happened. So what is the next stage of a plant? Fruit. Exactly. And so now, not only is it something that they can feel and something that they can taste, but it's something that is actually, actually bearing fruit. And so what does this fruit look like in bitterness? Rotten? Absolutely. What does it taste like? Sour? Bitter? Looks ugly? Yep. Impatient? Absolutely. So now not only are you feeling something, but the people around you actually begin to see it more and more. And we can actually spot it and be like, Oh, dude, you are not looking good. <coughs> Absolutely. And so you bear more and more, and I contend that it's anger, it's malice, it's wrath, it's vengeance, it's frustration, it's all those things, and it just pours out. And what what does a piece of fruit do after this? Ferments, but what does it do before it ferments? Let's say it gives off seeds. And so here we have the seeds that this fruit gives off, and it actually plants more seeds, and it actually ensures that it exists and continues to exist by going to seed, planting in the fertile soil, and spreading that all around it and that's what we do when we're bitter we want everyone else to be bitter at the same things that we're bitter and when we have let it come to such a point that it overtakes us that it clouds out our heart and it grows fruit it begins to sprinkle seeds all around us and it multiplies and it is ugly and that's why what hebrews 12 says be very careful to not let bitterness come up around you Watch that it doesn't happen and make sure that people are understanding God's grace so that if you see this in someone else's life, I mean, watch your own heart too, but if you see bitterness going on in someone else's life, make sure that they're getting grace so they don't understand this and they don't go there. So I just want to talk about uprooting bitterness. What does that look like? Very quickly, get some experienced help. If you have no idea what you're doing in a garden, don't pretend. Get someone to help you. Stop nurturing it. We were watering it, we were keeping it in the darkness. Put it in the light and cut off the water. Stop dwelling, stop validating, stop thinking of those things. Start off the roots and cut them off. Anyone who's pulling up a weed knows that it's just going to keep coming back if you don't get those roots. Cut off at of the roots that so can no longer flourish from that and can no longer be enmeshed from those people. Keep the fruit from going to seed. Take those fruits, gather them all up, burn them up, and keep them from going to seed and affecting anyone else. Pull these vines off. What's going to happen to these vines once the root is cut off? They're going to die. They're going to dry and shrivel up. And that's what point you need to be very careful to take them and gently pull them. Because by now, these pricklies have grown into your heart. It is a very dire situation. And you have to be very careful to pull them up and away from your heart. Then you've got to burn them. Burn that dried up skeleton of once, what once was and don't have anything to do with it any longer. Here's the deal. When we're bitter people and we look like this... It's going to be painful to get out of that place. And it's going to be hard, but it will be life-restoring. As Hebrews 12 said, See to it again that no bitter root grows up and defiles those around you. Make sure that they see the grave. So, just to close, I want to talk a little bit about how to do good anger. So we talked about the anger is good. So how do we do good anger? And I love this. And honestly, I want to memorize these verses that are on here. Um, I basically went through the entire New Testament and a lot of the Old Testament, any it talked about anger, anytime it talked about bitterness, and I basically concluded with principles that were themes that I saw again and again. Because this whole slowly and not quickly thing comes up a lot. And so I gave you some of my favorite verses that go off of each one of these things. But I love the first one. It says, search your heart and spend time in silence. Like when we're angry, what is our first reaction? Well. Mine, at least, is, yeah, well, blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And whether it's in my mind, or whether it's towards another person, silence is not part of much of what I'm doing. And it says, search your heart and spend time in silence. And I love the search your heart part. Because, again, anger, oh, you did this. And it's like, no, look at yourself. Because what's inside of you, what's causing this not, is what outside. Outside triggers it, what is inside is coming out. Do anger slowly and not quickly. Do anger a la carte. Okay? So if we're going to have good anger, it cannot come with the side items of bitterness, wrath, clamor, slander, malice, or any kind of sin. It has to be by itself in order to be good. Do anger by giving soft answers. I believe that means in tone, I believe that means in volume, and that means in gentleness of words. And when it brings God glory, overlook, pass over, and ignore. That is another common theme, right? Right? This doesn't mean don't deal with it and just put it inside yourself, stuff it, and be passive towards the person. This means actually overlook it. Don't have it be part of what you see. Pass over it so you see it and you're deciding, no, I am not going to let that affect us. And do it with kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. So if we look at um, my main conclusion as I studied anger and as I've studied bitterness and as I've looked at my own heart and as... I talked to you guys today, is that we really do need to be angry people. And there is a lot that is good to anger. And I want the village church and the people here and the people of God to be known for their anger. I really do. See, I'm like, if you take the Enneagram personality test, which I would love for all you to take. Um, I'm a number one, which means that I'm a reformer, which means that my default is anger. Because I want to reform the world. I want to see all injustices come to peace and to be taken care of. And so my default emotion that I struggle with is being angry when that doesn't happen and or happen the way that I want it to. Um, And so, you know, I want the people of God to be known for their anger, but their anger at injustices, their anger at sin, their anger at um, the name of God being defiled, the glory of God being marred at the things that are actually happening in the world, which there are more than plenty for us to be involved in and to actually take the feeling of anger and put it to action, um, not at our own petty expectations, not at our own petty wills and agendas. Um, I think it, uh, as Michael's talked through Amos, like he has made it very clear that God was mad at the Israelites because they did not get mad at what they should have gotten mad at. And I, I feel like that a lot of times. I feel like, oh my gosh, look, again, I'm getting mad at Ellie because she doesn't have her shoes on. Like, very humbling thought. <laughs> like, oh good, look at all this energy that's coming out of me because of this stupid event. When I could be using this energy to propel the kingdom of God somewhere, which I also try to do. And I'm afraid that all too often the people of the village church and the people of God are known for anger that is sinful and for worshiping the idols of ourselves, our agendas, our rights, our needs, our expectations, our purposes, and not worshiping the holy purposes of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I want our anger to be acting out for God's glory, like I said, restoring, rescuing, advocating, loving justice, pursuing mercy, walking humbly with Jesus Christ, and propelling us to action. Being angry at injustice and the damage of sin and seeking to love the community around us transformationally. So I do, I encourage us to get angry, but to do anger good. And the other thing is, let's, let's forgive. Because a lot of what I see is just holding on to bitterness. Forgiveness, love, grace, these are all things that cut to the root. When we envelop in those, when we practice those, when we are pursuing those in our mind, those are things that destroy bitterness. They destroy anger. And they actually give us new life. And so I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. It means it says, he says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable, because God has forgiven the inexcusable. And then I have my little heart with wings, because I believe that that's the opposite of this heart right here. The opposite of a heart that's enslaved in bitterness is a heart that is free, and a heart that has the opportunity to be able to experience that freedom. Um, so these are some of the resources I use. I'll be online. Um, Um, I want to give us an opportunity to kind of discuss this. We don't have very much time. Real quick, though, I do want to say that there are three articles out in the hallway. There's one by Paul Tripp that talks about good and angry, and it gives a case study of two gentlemen and how they both do anger and what's good about one and what's not good about one. There is an article by Lisa, or like a blog article by Lisa Turkhurst, which talks about uh, whether you are someone who explodes with your anger or implodes or does both. And then there is uh, one, oh, a blog article by myself, although my name is not on it anywhere, and that was kind of silly, <clears throat> that I wrote um, just kind of reflecting on this issue in my own heart, and it's called Weeds. Um, and so I would love to share that with you and for you guys to um, read that. Um, so, any thoughts, questions, night remarks? Yes, Paul. Thank you. And I think that's something that we should probably talk about afterwards, Paul, is that your continued experiences of feeling injustice and feeling mistreated have led you to become you know, depressed and have frustrating experiences. So let's talk more about that after we're done, okay? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where self-control plays a big part, is that even though like I want to be able to explode right now and I don't totally know my triggers and I don't totally know what's going on, I will choose to keep my mouth shut and not go where I want to go I believe that self-control is one of the biggest first steps to dealing with anger because then you can go and sort it all out later, but in that moment, not acting on what you're feeling and choosing self-control in that moment. Um, and I think that God blesses that too, even if it's kind of like, I don't totally know what I'm doing right now, but I just know I'm keeping my mouth shut. I think that God is even blessed by that um, choice to honor and glorify Him rather than you know going with whatever we want to go with. Right, And that's where... You know, like, that's absolutely true. And then that's where we get tempted to be like, okay, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and I am his vessel. And put those two verses together that somehow we get to go back and act out our anger on that other person in order to, like, accomplish his purposes. But, like, that's a total misuse joke when I was in high school, like... And I'm his vessel, so I'm going to go make that happen. Um, but vengeance is his, and we need to leave it with him. He saw what happened. He is also angered by it in the righteous sense of anger. And our anger does not accomplish his righteousness, remember, right? So if he's so big and mighty, and if we really believe that, then we can let him deal with that in however purposes that he wants it done. Yeah, you Absolutely. Like I shared with you, like my personality is that of a battle reformer. Therefore, like anger is my, like, number one thing that I go to when my highest value in life is not being accomplished. And so I think that that's a big part of it. I think hereditary too. like, And that's why the verse that we, what is it, Proverbs, that we opened up reading in the group discussion time, what is it? 22, yeah, 22, 23, 24, 25, whatever it is in there, it talks about like being around with angry people like rubs off on you. Like So whether it be nature or nurture in the way that we grow up, when we grow up around people who are angry, when we... Are around people who are angry it rubs off on us like that one of my favorite things I love to study is that uh, that when you hang out with people your brain actually becomes more and more functionally like their brain in the way that your synapse work in the way that things go on and so the company that you keep very closely affects the way that you become I mean Paul tells us that all the time. And then he tells us that we are not to be like other people. We are to be transforming our mind to be like the mind of Christ. That should be whose mind ours begins to look like more and more. And so I absolutely think that the way that you grow up, whether it be nature or nurture, affects um, how we learn to deal with conflict, how we learn to um, build these expectations. Um, But that's where we have to kind of just submit that to at the foot of the cross and be like, yeah, well, that kind of stinks. Um, But now I have to go from here and I have to learn how to do this better so that I can like bring glory to Christ too oh yes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely (coughs) and that's where the fruit you got the seeds you got the roots and that's all a defiling thing you know I want to read um these verses real quick on the the diffusing anger and how we deal with that as we give people grace. And I think this is what we have to keep in mind for ourselves and how we give this to other people, but also how Christ gives this to us is that James 4, 6 says, But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And what we just talked about in terms of like, you know, we get a measure of success as we overcome this and as we choose grace, as we choose self-control. We have to remember that God is on our team. Like, he wants us to be good, angry people. He does not want us to be unholy, angry people. And so he is the one who can fuel this passion. He is the one who can fuel this and make this look right. And he desires to give us more grace. And there's always more available to us to be able to do this well. And um, he, he says that, you know, he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Those who are like, oh, I am not doing this well, Lord. Please help me. And I know just even from my own life, in those moments, whether it be Elliot with her shoes or the 5,000 other more kind of significant moments, um, it's like you stop. You choose to stop. If I choose to be thankful, if I choose to be loving, if I choose to be gracious, the Lord really does. I'm not saying it's like poof. No, I'm like, yay, let's all go to Ring Around the Rosie. But at the same time, It is an overwhelming response of like, okay, good choice, Brianne. I will now give you grace and you can go forward better. And I think the more that I do that, the more success that you experience by choosing the right thing and God being like, yes, Brianne, thank you, it does absolutely propel you in the right direction. Right? Yes. Oh, it's yes. And that's where you have to guard your heart because it's the wellspring of your life. And that's where, if you have better people that are around you, and you can't get away from them, that's why. That's why I said, you know, like originally. Exactly. Exactly, and you have to make sure that the light is shining into your life so strong, so that it leaves no dark place for that bitterness to plant its work. Oh yeah. Right. Right. Right, and I think I mentioned this before when I was teaching, but God is in the business of redemption, right? So that is his favorite situation to enter into. It is our hearts that are all sinful, that are all angry, that are all messed up and all, you know, wired towards sin. That's what he's like, yep, that's what I'm here for, because my grace is good. Hmm? Experience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So... If you go back to this picture, I think that one of the biggest, and part of it is on this diffuse and part of it is on the operating too, so you can refer back to both of those. But I think, I mean, and I the mean, same thing that you just talked about is the fact that like, sometimes you get to the point and you're like, well, I don't know how to remove these very well. And that's where we have to rely on the Lord, and that's where I, I think that you know, on the slide going to a more experienced gardener is going to be something that is totally helpful for you because it's like wow i have this giant thing and i have no idea what to do with it and so whether that be a professional counselor whether that be a pastor whether that be someone else that you know can handle the word of god rightly and can walk you through that these are things that absolutely and that is a way that we bring it to the light too by sharing it whether it be with a friend whether it be with Whatever it may be, by admitting it, that's like bringing it to the light. It's like the veil of darkness gets taken off when we share it with other people. Because A, it makes you more accountable. B, when we own things, like, yeah, I can get angry. That is like, I think that's like one of the devil's worst nightmares. Because he's like, oh, don't say it out loud. Because then you're owning it. And now you're going to have to do something with it. And other people are know that you see it. And they're going to be more you know, apt to like encourage you towards that. And I think um, that's one of the biggest steps is like seeking wise counsel from wherever it comes from. I think getting yourself closer and closer to the sources of light, which I believe would be personal Bible study, things like community groups where you're going to study the Word of God and have people have opportunity to speak into your life, you know, attending church, attending women's Bible studies, whatever it may be, different opportunities where you're like, that's where they're studying the light. The light of God comes from His Word and from relationship with Him through prayer, through fasting, through whatever discipline it may be that you um, practice Um, So being like, okay, that's where the light comes from. That's where the truth is. I will gravitate towards those and try to expose my heart more and more and more to them. Um, And I think, too, um, yeah. Working on your thoughts, and that's what someone who's experienced could help help you with. But like when you when you see, you know, maybe the bitterness that's been there for 20 years, and you're like, oh, look, there it is, and you you and you have to stop nurturing it. That's a very hard process. Don't ever think that I'm making it sound like you're like, oh, today at 12:30 I made a decision not to nurture my bitterness anymore, and now it is slowly shriveling up and dying. Awesome. Um, I wish that it, and you know, sometimes it is that easy, and that's where it starts is to be able to make that decision. But at the same time, that's gonna be a decision that you make probably like every fifteen minutes, every ten minutes, and it's like, oh no, I will not go there in my mind. Because the mind has pathways, right? And once we think these thoughts, they are very well trod pathways through that forest, right? And it is very hard to get off of them. Kind of like you've got to take that machete and like carve a new way to like walk in the forest of like your mind. But it is possible and it is doable. Um, but you have to be like, oh, here I am again on this familiar trap path of bitterness, I will now choose to go this way and think this good thought. And that's why, you know, Philippians 4, 8, and 9 talked about, like, think these things, things that are true, things that are noble, things that are lovely. I talked about that before when I taught that, you know, a lot of things that we think with bitterness are true, (laughs) you know, like. Did that person just hurt me? Absolutely, um, but that's why God gives us things that are like lovely and praiseworthy. Is that a lovely thought to think? Though so? nope, that is not a lovely. Is that a noble thought to think of that person? No, it's not, and it's not praiseworthy either. Um, and so that verse is like working a lot with the way that we think, and so working with the way we think and wise counsel and getting closer to light. Absolutely. Absolutely, I think that, like, so you're going to the Lord, but also choosing people that you do go to, that they love the Lord, and they're going to be like, okay, that does stink, and that is hurtful, but here's what we need to do with it, here's how we need to think about it, here's how we need to proceed with caution, and really finding um, solace in that, Mm -hmm. absolutely, absolutely. And we talked about that a little bit in the beginning. And lots of times it's our expectations, it's our needs, it's all those things. And that's why we become idolaters of ourselves when we are getting angry. And it's like, you know what, I love myself more than I love the purposes of God. And I'm just going to go there. I want to close, if you guys have other questions, you can come and talk to me. I want to close with um, one of these verses that is under the forgive generously. It's Leviticus 19, 17, and 18. And I'll just read it, even though I gave it out to someone. I think this is just like a gem. So this is in the law, and he's talking about... Um, loving your neighbor as yourself, and this is how he closes out the law in loving your neighbor as yourself. He says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. So that is my prayer for each of you and myself as we go from here, is that we will reason frankly, that we will talk about these things, that we will deal with them, and that we will seek the Lord's purposes rather than an above our own. So let me pray real quick, and I'll let you guys go. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to look at anger and bitterness, God. Um, I thank you that each of our hearts is prone to anger, because that shows that we somehow get this holy aspect of who you are. Lord, but so many times we take it and we defile it and we do it wrong. God, I pray that we would not seek to be angry in order to accomplish your righteousness, Lord. But that we would leave your righteousness up to you, God. But that we would seek to be good and angry at the time towards the things that you have called us to be angry. Towards injustices, towards sin. Lord, that we would do it a cart carte without any of these ugly things, Lord, and just do it with forgiveness and compassion, Lord. I pray that as we look at our own hearts, as we look at bitterness, Lord, I pray that you would reveal your truth um, to so many of us, Lord. I pray that we would not go throughout the rest of this day without understanding what triggers us, how our anger comes out of us, Lord, and what our heart looks like in any way, shape, or form. God, I pray that you would make the village church and the people here a part of our body, people who do not sin in anger, but people who love well, forgive generously, give grace to people. I pray that you would be with us and I pray that you would empower us and pray this